Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today, to catch up with the end of this long, long year of 2020, we're going to do something a little bit unusual for this channel. We're not a news aggregation site. We don't hold it up to ourselves to keep everyone apprised of every possible thing happening in the world of music, movies, television, video games, although sometimes it seems like we are. But with respect to those stories that we have covered, there are often twists and turns that are either smaller or maybe not able to make up a full video. And I think today is a great time to catch up on some of those because there have been significant events that we can talk to folks about on topics that we had prior made videos for. But before we do, I did want to give a big, big, big thank you to everyone that has joined us in virtual legality these past two years and one month. Uh, I really set a number of goals for the channel this year, all of which have been met as of this morning where we hit 30,000 subscribers. You can see the tweet. I put out earlier, but I just wanted to say thank you for everyone that has dropped in for five minutes, 50, 500, depending on what series you wound up really liking here on this channel. I really, really appreciate it, and I am very, very thankful, and I'm looking forward to another big year next year, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to have these informational, educational, and entertaining videos to make about all the things that you care about. On to the video substance itself. So one of the videos that we did earlier this year was a deep dive into the Dragon Lance lawsuit. Now, if you aren't familiar with this story, you can, of course, check out that video. But suffice it to say that Weiss and Hickman, the writers of the Dragon Lance Dungeons and Dragons book series, wound up suing Wizards of the Coast for effectively slowballing some of the approvals that they were supposed to make on the contents of a new Dragonlance series. And because of that, they basically accused them, Wizards of the Coast, of breaching their contract. And we did about an hour-long conversation about what that means, what good faith and fair dealing means in contract terms, how contracts can only be written on a certain assumption that both sides aren't going to try to game the heck out of the words on the page against each other, and that Weiss and Hickman had felt that Wizards of the Coast had crossed that line. And in all honesty, looking at that particular lawsuit, if it was exactly as complained, I would tend to agree that they had a pretty strong case against Wizards of the Coast. Well, no more, although if you are a big fan of Dragonlance, uh, don't get too upset about all this. I want to give a hat tip to Joseph LaRussa, at Joseph LaRussa on Twitter, who said, Hey, Hogue, that Dragonlance case appears to have settled, maybe, because it was withdrawn by the plaintiffs. May want to keep an eye out for any other updates. Gotta inform your viewers. And thank you to Joseph LaRussa for that heads up. If we go and we look at the court listener document, we see it. It's exactly as he described. Plaintiff Margaret Weiss, LLC, acting as, a, as probably a single member LLC, and Tracy Hickman hereby gives notice that the above captioned action is voluntarily dismissed as to the Wizards of the Coast LLC without prejudice. Like if things didn't work out well, they could bring it back to the court again. Defendant Wizards of the Coast LLC has not filed an answer or motion for summary judgment. No proceedings or discovery have been undertaken as to these claims, and this action is not subject to any federal statute which would preclude the dismissal. Said another way, this case didn't really start. When you threaten somebody with a lawsuit, oftentimes there's a phone call, maybe a meeting, a Zoom call here in 2020, and the two sides have a conversation and say, oh, come on, you're not really going to sue us, are you? And how can we make this right? Or maybe get off our lawn and we're very upset at you and we're going to file an, a motion back 
for summary judgment. We're going to fire a counterclaim. We're going to sue you for failure to deliver, et cetera, et cetera. None of that happened here, which, as Mr. LaRussa prior suggested, suggests that this probably settled. As you've probably heard if you've been in virtual legality for a while, the vast bulk of claims that private actors, not including government and criminal claims, make against one another either wind up getting dismissed or wind up getting settled. So this didn't even proceed really to motions about whether or not they had a good claim or not. Wizards of the Coast just didn't like the publicity in all likelihood, and they talked it over behind the scenes. So I do think that this is probably a pretty good sign if you are interested in seeing those Dragonlance books, which were apparently fairly far along in development. This is then backed up by Margaret Weiss making some tweets. You can see her liking things on Twitter that suggest that there is a settlement here that people that are Dragonlance fans probably should get excited. She says, I know some of you have seen that our lawsuit against Wizards of the Coast was dismissed. I can't say anything yet, but watch for exciting news in the weeks to come. And thank you so much for your support. And it was dismissed here does mean that it was voluntarily dismissed by the plaintiffs. The people that were trying to get something out of Wizards of the Coast, Weiss and Hickman, said, okay, we don't need to do that through the court system anymore. We can go a different direction. We can have that private phone call. We can sign up to a new contract. We can get some kind of concessions. They can promise to publish the books, whatever it might be. And I strongly suspect you'll get another update from Weiss, Hickman, and Wizards of the Coast in the near future. But for right now, I think it's worthwhile to say "Mm, it looks like this one wound up getting settled and probably in a pretty positive way for Dungeons & Dragons and Dragonlance fans. The next video that we covered earlier this year I wanted to talk about was about Duke Nukem. Now, Gearbox is a fairly consistent visitor to virtual legality because, rightly or wrongly, they get involved in a lot of different lawsuits, a lot of different actions, intellectual property uh, things. Uh, There's a lot of talk about their CEO in and around games journalism. So they wind up having a lot of videos made about them in this space. This particular video was about a lawsuit in respect of the music in the original Duke Nukem. I've got this article up. From June 15th, 2020 in PC Gamer, Gearbox sues 3D Realms over Duke Nukem again. This lawsuit is actually the result of the lawsuit filed by Duke Nukem composer Bobby Prince last year against Gearbox. So in 20,000, uh, in 2014, a little bit ways down the road, in 2014, Gearbox sued 3D Realms and Interceptor Entertainment over Duke Nukem Mass Destruction, a top-down action RPG they were developing without the approval of Gearbox which acquired the property in 2010. The case was settled a year later. Gearbox was affirmed as the full owner of Duke Nukem, Mass Destruction, morphed into Bombshell, and all was well until last year when composer Bobby Prince filed suit against Gearbox Valve and Randy Pitchford over music he'd written for Duke Nukem 3D, which he claimed was used without permission in the Gearbox-published Duke Nukem 3D 20th Anniversary World Tour. So just backing this up a step, and you can check out that earlier video if you want a more in-depth discussion of all of these topics. What happened here is that Gearbox thought they bought all the rights to Duke Nukem 3D from 3D Realms, and then they went and they made a remake, Duke Nukem 3D 20th Anniversary World Tour, or remaster, just getting it functional and selling it uh, out to the people that would be interested in that product. And when they went out with it, Bobby Prince said, "Uh uh-uh, you don't have the rights to my music as it appears in Duke Nukem 3D. Gearbox said, well, we we bought all assets related to Duke Nukem. As you can see here in the highlighted language, Gearbox purchased all intellectual property related to the Duke Nukem video game series from 3D Realms. In that asset purchase agreement, 3D Realms promised us 
that the Duke intellectual property was owned free and clear by 3D Realms. We wouldn't owe anybody else any other money. And so Gearbox wound up suing uh, Apogee Software, the legal name of 3D Realms, in order to say, okay, court, we need some settlement here as to who owns what because this composer is suing us. We're literally in the middle, as they said. Either Bobby is right and deserves to be paid, in which case 3D Realms is wrong, or 3D Realms is right and Bobby's wrong. We don't know. So we need to bring a judge in and have a look at things from both sides. And that's exactly right. When you actually purchase assets, you get promises about what they look like. And at the end of the day, if there is a dispute about what assets you purchased, who owns what, who owes royalties on that ownership, you're going to have to go through the justice system to clear things up or you're going to have to settle things. I was sent a press release actually by Gearbox uh, and I thank them for it, updating me on the status of this lawsuit. And fortunately, much like the Dragonlance lawsuit, all seems to have been settled amongst the three parties in this particular complaint. So first, they're selling a new product, or at least they're encouraging people to buy it for Christmas. There's still time to give the gift of Duke this holiday season. Duke Nukem 3D 28th Anniversary World Tour is available for PC and on all console platforms, including the Nintendo Switch. This edition of the landmark first-person shooter contains the 1996 classic Duke Nukem 3D in its full glory with unforgettable John St. John one-liners, an incredible soundtrack from Bobby Prince in an all-new episode. So they're, they're selling this product, and they've got that soundtrack from Bobby Prince, and they're really putting out this press release, at least in terms of sending it to me, because they want people to know that the litigation, any kind of concern they might have about a composer not getting paid what he's owed by purchasing this video game is not a concern that consumers need to have. As they continue with this release, they say for fans concerned about purchasing and enjoying the game, while there was confusion with Bobby Prince's legendary soundtrack, the Gearbox Entertainment Company announced today that Mr. Prince's litigation has been resolved and gamers can now celebrate Bobby's masterpiece with his support. There's been a lot of interest about my lawsuit in Gearbox. I'm glad to announce today that the matter with Gearbox is resolved. After productive discussions, we have reached an agreement that allows my music and sound effects to remain in Duke Nukem 3D 20th Anniversary World Tour. I appreciate Randy Pitchford and Gearbox for their collaboration, partnership, and understanding. I'm thankful that we can put this behind us and move forward. Now, we're going to see a comment from Bobby Prince here. We're going to see a comment then from Randy Pitchford and Gearbox, and then we're going to see a comment from 3D Realms. This is the standard kind of vetted release statement that you get when parties settle a potential litigation or other legal matter, right? When you have that settlement, part of that settlement document agreement, however that winds up looking is going to be, all right, we are going to agree on what this looks like as presented to the world. We're going to put our quotes and our statements and everybody can redline them and talk about what they look like. And that's why you see this kind of very back padding, very friendly, very genteel set of quotes from each of the interested parties. Doesn't make them wrong. Doesn't make them disingenuous. It just means that this is the way things are done. And this does suggest that relatively speaking, everything was finalized pretty amicably. Getting to Gearbox's quote, they say, Bobby Prince has been and remains a valuable contributor to the Gearbox family. We appreciate Bobby and his team working with us to clear up the misunderstandings and confusion. He's an incredible artist and we value his contributions to our works. The questions raised last year were resolved after a thorough review revealed the root of Bobby's concerns rested with 3D Realms, from whom Gearbox acquired the Duke Nukem franchise. As part of the resolution, all parties have agreed to dismiss all of their claims with the courts. I believe that's at least two lawsuits. In resolving all litigation on the matter, 3D Realms stated, We at 3D Realms appreciate Bobby Prince, Randy Pitchford, and the Gearbox team 
for working with us to address the concerns raised in Mr. Prince's lawsuit. After review by counsel, a license with Bobby was inadvertently overlooked by 3D Realms when we sold Gearbox the Duke Nukem catalog. We are relieved to have the issues resolved and extend our best to everyone. Looking at that red highlighted language, that's about as close to a concession, an apology, it's our bad, it was our fault, that you will get in this context. And it really does appear to have been their fault. Gearbox gets involved in a lot of these lawsuits. They get a bad rap in some respects on some of these. Uh, But in this particular one, Gearbox really was trying to clear up what they thought they bought from Duke Nukem and wasn't expecting to get sued by the composer. And it does appear that their sale partner, the company that sold them Duke Nukem, didn't dot those I's and cross those T's and button everything up and put all the intellectual property in a box properly. So Bobby Prince appears to have been correct in suing and saying, hey, where's my money? Gearbox appears to be correct in saying, hey, we thought we bought it all. And 3D Realms appears to be falling on its sword a little bit and saying, yep, we thought we sold it all to you. We did it wrong. And it's probably going to be settled and, and no big issue for anybody here, except probably some attorneys get paid by the sounds of things, by 3D Realms, uh, going back to the other potential parties. But again, a pretty good resolution to a story that I know a number of you were interested in. So Dragonlance probably settled, probably pretty happy for Dungeons and Dragons and Dragonlance fans. If you're a fan of Duke Nukem or Gearbox or Bobby Prince, this settled in a way that it looks like all three parties have finished off in a way that people can be excited about and can be happy purchasing that product again. The next story, unfortunately not quite so happy of an ending, right? We did a video last week that has gotten a lot of views and a lot of, uh, I believe, kind of sharing around the internet because there's a lot of concern about felony streaming. Uh, That is going on Twitch, going on Facebook gaming, going on YouTube, streaming something that violates somebody's intellectual property somewhere and the US government changing an infringement on streaming grounds into a felony. Now, as you can see in the thumbnail, if you haven't checked out that video, I do recommend it because there's a lot of information in there. I posed the question, is it reasonable, stupid, or both? Essentially, is it overdramatized as it's being reported? And the answer is yes and unfortunately no, which is an answer you get a lot from lawyers. But first and foremost, infringers right now for streaming can go to jail. They can go to jail for up to a year. That is the dividing line between a misdemeanor and a felony. And what the bill does, among other things, is say, okay, the potential penalty for streaming in violation of copyright is going to be more than a year, which makes it a felony. So when you see these reports in various places, oh, streamers need to be worried about jail time, they had to be worried about jail time yesterday and tomorrow, regardless of the state of this bill. And we'll see as part of this update that it is going to be law now. But they had to be worried about jail time anyway. And the fact that you don't see the FBI and the Department of Justice and whoever else busting down doors to throw Twitch streamers in jail should be suggestive to you of the likely threat of a change just in the criminal code on these grounds. Doesn't mean that it doesn't give private copyright holders more leverage. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be interested in this law and potentially concerned about its application. I think you should. But at the end of the day, it's a change in quantification of your risk level, not in the quality of it. This isn't a new thing that you could potentially go to jail for copyright infringement for streaming. You always could. It just changes the potential risk, the the high level of jail time, three years, five years, or 10 years. And the reason I bring that up again is because the update here is that this bill 
has passed the House and Senate and is very, 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 very likely 99.9999% chance that President Trump will be signing it into law immediately. It might be today, might be tomorrow. And if you haven't looked at an omnibus appropriations spending bill before, well, if we go and we look, we can see that this is some 5,500 pages long. You say, wow, how can anybody read this thing? And you'd be exactly right to say so. But nevertheless, despite being presented to the United States Congress yesterday, they all basically, with a few exceptions, voted to approve this bill to spend and spend and spend and to do other things such as, but not limited to, making a felony out of unauthorized streaming and, by the way, adopting the very controversial CASE Act, the Small Claims Court for the Copyright Laws, which I have an older video on, but I might need to revisit to see if there are any changes in the law as part of this series as well. But you can see that in the midst of this 5,500-page appropriations bill, you do have the adoption of these copyright laws. And if we go and we look at page 2,539, we come to an exact copy of the bill that we reviewed in that stream. Now, the, the other thing that I want to mention to folks, a lot of people came to my comments and talked to me about this. Is, hey, Senator Tillis, who was the sponsor of this bill, says this isn't aimed at individuals. Uh, I don't know why you're making such a big deal out of this, Rick. And, and I agree. They, they've gone out there. There's congressional statements now that are live that say it's not intended for individuals. You see the definition that they use in this particular bill is aimed at, quote unquote, Digital transmission services. Those are the parties that can get in trouble under this law. And it means a service that has the primary purpose of publicly performing works by digital transmission, which is a long legal way of saying it is a service that streams stuff. Now, people have said, hey, that's a service. That's Twitch. That's Facebook gaming. That's YouTube. That, that's not Twitch user. That's, that's not streamer. And I tend to agree if we're just evaluating these things on the basis of the English language. But as people that have been in virtual legality for a long time know, especially since November or so of last year, that's not the way the government has always treated these kinds of definitions. I've pulled up COPPA or the COPPA rule more specifically that talks about an operator, meaning a person who operates a website located on the internet, which for all the world sounds like YouTube and not Hogue Law. But the Federal Trade Commission late last year and into this year and probably into the future has tried to interpret this particular rule, this particular law to say that me, Richard Hogue, is the operator of the website on which the virtual legality substance appears and is responsible for the data collected for things like from kids, even though I have utterly no ability to control how that hardware operates, how YouTube actually functions, whether it uses data collection or pips and things like that. I did not have any control. I do not have any control. The actual use of the word operator is very questionable in that context, but no more or less questionable than it might be to suggest that someone that operates a slash username Twitch website is in fact that service, that digital transmission service. So while I don't think that this was written as intended to hit those people, when it says it shall be unlawful, X, Y, Z, for a digital transmission service that is primarily designed or provided for the purpose of publicly performing works protected under Title 17, the exclusivity provisions, by means of a digital transmission without the authority of the copyright owner, I look at that and say, yeah, you might well be aiming it at the Pirate Bay or the streaming services or what have you, 
But you, Senator Tillis, you, Congress, you know darn well that the interpretation of these kinds of laws leaves your purview and that when you've got a definition that doesn't at all make clear that digital transmission service means only the entity that provides the overall infrastructure of the service and not just potentially the guy that's streaming among us over on Twitch and doesn't want to be sued. Well, you raise these questions for people and I'm very happy to see that people are engaged with these questions. I think there's a lot of bad reporting. I think there's a lot of overdramatization of an issue like this one, but I think it is a good thing overall for people that especially have their livelihood invested in these kinds of services like Twitch and Facebook gaming and YouTube gaming or wherever else to know that these kinds of things have been changed. So no, I think it's both. I don't think it is a situation in which you've demonstrably changed your risk profile, DMCA takedowns, private civil actions don't wind up in the U.S. penal code. You don't have jail time for a copyright owner that's angry with you. They could potentially refer it to the FBI or the Department of Justice or someone else, but they could potentially do that right now. So it doesn't change that. The folks that are reporting that a DMCA takedown could lead into a felony jail time are right only in the most technical sense of the term. Disney cannot throw you in Mickey Mouse jail. Not yet, at least. And so if you want to bring up your ire, you want to bring up your complaints about all this, I I recommend complaining about Congress approving a 5,500-page bill that none of them could have possibly read. You saw complaints about this online from a number of members of Congress on both sides. You saw it from AOC. You saw it from some prominent Republicans. And nevertheless, they voted yes when push came to shove. So we don't get into politics here in virtual legality too often, but I'm pretty much irate at both Democrats and Republicans for approving all of this random stuff that can only be summarized completely separate from the money in the omnibus bill in a 77-page summary document, which shortens 25 or 50 pages to a sentence. Still takes 77 pages to do. Anyway, that's my brief aside on the U.S. legislative process. The last thing I wanted to update you on is a little bit funnier, a little bit lighter. Uh, we, as you know, if you've been in virtual reality for a while, have done almost 30 videos on Epic versus Apple and Epic versus Google and antitrust legislation and various comments that are made by Epic CEO Tim Sweeney on Twitter, whether to me or to other people, all these various things. This is a series on virtual legality that is very likely to continue next year when the court case really ramps up. But for right now, what's happened is somewhat amusing to me. I'm pulling up now a tweet from Greg Miller over at Kind of Funny Games who pointed out that Epic has sent him a free Fortnite swag bag. If you aren't familiar with this story at all, free Fortnite is the kind of motto that Epic is using to suggest that Apple is a monopoly and is treating them evilly. And one of the things that they do to kind of try to convey that in a somewhat ironic but also muddled way is to borrow all of Apple's trade dress. So you see here the simple fonts, the white box, the period after the motto, very suggestive of what it might look like if you buy an iPad or something else like that. Free Fortnite, but instead of an Apple logo, it's a llama. And ultimately what they sent over to influencers like Greg Miller at Kind of Funny Games and probably others, I would imagine, is leather jackets with free Fortnite, free Fortnite logos. How about an entirely new Samsung tablet, right? Who doesn't love all this stuff? And it wouldn't surprise me if this went out to a number of influencers that they hope will take up 
their case and continue to present it to people that want to play Fortnite and, and want to believe certain things about the legalities of antitrust law that may or may not be true, depending on who's saying them. And ultimately, I, I just find it humorous. This is a case, of course, where the judge said, you aren't being harmed by any of this. You launched into a marketing campaign and had a rendered video ready the moment it happened. This does not look like anything that has caused you irreparable harm. And this isn't going to go very far in convincing the judge that she was wrong on this score. Epic continues to be using lawsuits as marketing platforms, which is novel uh, and amusing, uh, if not exactly the way I would like to see the justice system observed. You can see here the note uh, that Greg Miller put up on Twitter. Hi there. Fortnite was named the Samsung Galaxy Store Game of the Year for 2020. In celebration, we've teamed up with Samsung to send you a special box of free Fortnite gear. While Fortnite may not currently be available on the App Store or Google Play, you can still get the latest Fortnite updates directly from the Epic Games app on the Galaxy Store on Samsung. Spread the word, free Fortnite. Thank you, the Epic Games team. And so Epic is finishing off the year really as we started it, as we continued it, with just crazy stories in the world of video games and certainly movies and music and television are not so far behind. And that's the update I wanted to give on these four stories that we've covered at length here in Virtual Legality. If you have anything else that you think deserves an update, you have any other comments on either these videos, other videos you've seen this year, I want to again thank you for helping make this channel the success that it has become this year with 30,000 subscribers. I'm looking forward to continuing to grow it. But this has been Virtual Legality for today. If you like this, please like, subscribe, ring the bell, share it with people, put it in forums, do all the other great stuff that I know you already are doing to help grow this channel. Otherwise, if you saw this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.